Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. You can catch a live recording of the show over on YouTube where I stream every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. Go subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. It's Angela Ucci, Heaven and Healing Podcast, and be sure to ring the bell to be notified for live stream reminders and more. Whatever platform you're currently listening on, please give the show a five-star rating and written review to help get this into more people's ears. And please consider partnering with the ministry as Heaven and Healing is entirely crowdfunded. There are different options to support the show down in the episode description. Thank you so much for your continued support and prayers. Enjoy the episode and God bless. Before I dive into this, we want to make sure all is well. Okay, perfect. Sounds good, sounds loud, sounds clear, right? Yes. First of all, you may notice that the set looks a little bit different. Um, myself and my husband, and by myself and my husband, I mean my husband, rearranged the studio so that we could have both sets in the same room. So if y'all have seen any of my in-person stuff, that studio is now in here with the solo set so it's not in two separate rooms just like taking up unnecessary space in the house it looks so good on here so that being said we had to move everything closer to the back of the room so that there would be more space over there which i'll show you all a tour another time but yes we look at this doesn't this look great this is all michael y'all everyone just give some give some shouts of praise for my husband because he is the best i literally would be so lost <laughs> <laughs> without him in more ways than one, but especially when it comes to the production of this podcast, because he is the brains behind the operation. I know y'all are so excited to hear his testimony and you're going to hear it probably after the baby comes. Um, there's just, there's just lip oil dripping down my chin. So that's nice. You're, you'll probably hear his testimony sometime after the baby comes, but I will say that, um, you know, his quiet commitment to heaven and healing is in and of itself a testimony because he never cared about my podcast before he really fell in love with Jesus. Um, he used to spend time playing video games, countless hours of video games, drinking, just slothful indulgence. And I mean, honestly, not doing very much of anything at all. And I can say that because he knows it's true and it's not true anymore. He's a new creation. And like, this is his testimony, like without words even being spoken. So just really grateful for my husband. I've just been on this cloud nine of gratitude for our marriage over the last couple of days. Um, so I wanted to just give a shout out to him because this podcast, this ministry is what it is because of Michael. It's not just me. Y'all see me all the time, my face, my big mouth, but it's just as much his as it is mine. And I'm just so honored that the Lord has used both of our talents to allow us to work together for his kingdom. It's such a blessing. And whenever Mike does come on, we will tell the full story of kind of how we both had these separate talents that we never imagined would be used together for the kingdom of God, let alone at all. So it's just amazing. Um, yeah. So that being said, everyone just give some, give some glory to Mike right now. Um, all glory to God, but glory to my husband as well. 
Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, please. Be sure to like this video to just kind of help boost the algorithm. We want to get this into more eyes and ears so that it can reach more people in the body of Christ because these topics are important. Please do consider supporting the show. The pinned comment in the chat has ways to do so. And be sure to stick around until the end of the stream. We will be doing a prayer of forgiveness. And of course, we'll always do that hangout in the chat, that Q&A that I always say will be 15 minutes and then I end up being here for 45 minutes, hang out with y'all because I love it so much and I love you all so much. Um, yeah, I will say one more thing, please. If you are able to right now, please share this link on Instagram. Take a screenshot of you listening or watching. Post the link that I already posted to Instagram, like the post of this, like the thumbnail. That's the word I'm looking for, the thumbnail advertisement of this episode. Post that to your story. Invite your friends and family to come watch with us. Um, yeah, as we are going through this, if you feel so inclined to capture any video recordings on your phone, on your device, screen record, whatever it is, however you're watching, I don't know. Um, feel free to do that. And let me check something real quick. Does this work? Yes, this works. Feel free to do that and um, share it to your Instagram story when I'm on one of my Holy Spirit tantrums or Holy Spirit tirades, I should say. <laughs> and tag me in that so that I can share it afterwards. So now that I've spent just about five minutes kind of letting people come into the chat, uh, let's get started on this topic. Hopefully you were here for last week's episode part one of the spiritual warfare series all about repentance. Tonight we are talking about forgiveness. So for the series itself, I had to kind of start with repentance because as we saw last week, oh, let me start recording this. I had to start the series with repentance because as we saw last week, evidence in Acts 2021, um, Faith and repentance, right, go hand in hand. They are interchangeable. You cannot have one without the other, right? And so the focus with part one of the Spiritual Warfare for Christians series was all about establishing that our faith is indeed accompanied by repentance. It's truly turning from sin and not from a works-based mindset of sin consciousness, right, where we just kind of wake up and grade our own score every morning as we try not to sin. No, that's not what it's about. It's from faith, the faith that is emphasized throughout scripture, faith that we actually walk in, that we truly believe Jesus when he made us dead to sin, that we are no longer under the bondage of sin, that we are empowered by his spirit, not our own will, to walk holy as he is holy. Because again, it's not about waking up in the morning and trying not to sin by our own strength or our own works or our own will. It's about waking up in the morning and wearing his righteousness because we belong to him. Obviously, a lot of um, people that don't have ears to hear got really mad at me for the episode last week, but a lot of you received it well and said you were very blessed by it. I even had someone tell me that they felt so blessed by it that they ended up making their own sort of outline to teach to their youth group and that it was a blessing for the youth. So all glory to God, how he uses his people to use his people to enhance his kingdom, right? So yeah, part one, all about repentance, focused on the necessity for us to cast the log out of our own eye before we cast out demons, right? 
to blame ourselves before we blame everything on the devil. And uh, we focused on repenting of unbelief that causes us to remain bound to sin, a sin identity that enables us to boast in our right to fail in the flesh, which will inevitably result to walking out that continued failure of sin so that we may instead actually put off the old man, like scripture says, put on the new man and truly believe that we have been made saints by his finished work on the cross, which enables us to rejoice in and walk in, walk out his victory as we yield to a life of willingness lived by his spirit. So that's the recap of last week. And it's really such good news, right? It's such good news. The finished work on the cross is good news. Okay, we're not saved eternally, or I should say we're not saved only eternally. We're saved right now. We're saved right now. And that's really like the emphasis of this whole spiritual warfare series is that we got to live like we're saved now. Because as I said last week, the devil can't defeat you. He's already been defeated. So what he's going to do is try and discourage you from belief okay he's going to try and discourage you from the belief that what the word says is true that you are saved that you are free if you walk free on earth as it is in heaven you are much big bigger of a threat to the kingdom of darkness than if you are just hanging on by a thread in this life waiting for jesus to just pull you up into the clouds and take you to heaven right if we walk out our salvation we are absolutely a threat now okay sorry i'm trying to figure out these things without my husband here is really hard is this it got it okay <laughs> trying to honor my husband's request for the angles and the cameras honor his hard work you know all of the things um so go ahead like the video if you haven't already share this and subscribe so you're going to notice that each episode of this five-part series spiritual warfare series for christians piggybacks off of the last okay they're all connected and they are all ultimately rooted in faith because as i said the devil wants to discourage you of your faith of walking in your faith and you know, that's oddly the most controversial topic of discussion within the body of Christ, faith, which is really disheartening because that's the gospel. Like that's literally the gospel, right? We are saved by grace through what? Faith. It could just stop at grace. It could just say, we are saved by grace, period. Scripture itself does say that his grace is sufficient all on its own, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't just stop there. There's no period at the end of that sentence. We are saved by grace. There is an avenue by which that grace is received through. And scripture says it's our faith, right? So ultimately, that is the major objective that this spiritual warfare series will orbit around. Faith. Because as I mentioned, the devil can't defeat you. Let's get that clear. Let's say it over and over till it's just ingrained in our heads. The devil can't defeat you. So he wants your faith. He can't have your eternity. He's going to torment you in this life. It's simple. 
but you don't have to submit to that torment. Um, our faith is what makes him flee, ultimately. Our faith is submission to God. The Bible says submit to God, the devil will flee. So we can actually walk free in this life. And again, not just wait for heaven to be saved, but be saved right now because the devil cannot stand when your faith in him withstands. And so all that being said, forgiveness is no different because to forgive another as you have been forgiven is to embody the faith that you have actually been forgiven. So it's the perfect topic to delve into after a sin at all that needed to be forgiven. And forgiveness is understanding. Did this just shut off? We don't want that. Sorry, my it said that it disconnected, but can you let me know in the chat that we're good? I'm going to restart that train of thought. Repentance is turning away from the wicked belief that you had no sin at all that needed to be forgiven. And forgiveness is understanding that any sin committed against you could never come close to your own sin against a perfectly holy God. Yet, in spite of that sin, you have actually been forgiven for it all. It is through his blood that you have been washed clean, made completely anew in his righteousness. Okay, and that understanding, that truth of the faith that you've truly been forgiven, that revelation comes from just this this reception of of the totality of God's love for you recognizing that because that love his love knows no bounds and holds nothing against you your love for others as a byproduct of belief in that truth should then also know no bounds and hold nothing against them as he has held nothing against you, right? Because repentance is recognizing how God sees you and forgiveness is recognizing how God sees them. Repentance teaches you how to live like him and forgiveness teaches you how to love like him. And actually the practice of forgiveness is a form of repentance because unforgiveness is in fact a sin. And so all that to be said, I pray this conversation tonight would be glorifying to God and that it would set his people free of any unforgiveness any of you may have in your hearts right now in Jesus' name. Like I said, we'll do a prayer at the end, okay? So you might be wondering right now, how can I fight spiritual warfare with forgiveness, right? Well, for one, Jesus gave you a new life through forgiveness. So forgiveness in and of itself is life. And the Bible says this, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
okay? There are a plethora of verses about forgiveness that we're going to get into during this conversation, but I wanted to start with that because that alone shows us that anger actually gives opportunity to the devil in our lives. And other translations say it gives him a foothold or a place. So what does that tell us? It tells us that anger is entry for the enemy. Anger is an access point for the enemy. Anger is agreement with the enemy. Anger is dominion for the enemy. And all forgiveness, I'm sorry, and if unforgiveness is the fruit, <coughs> good grief. <coughs> Let's try that again. This is like the thing with live streaming. <coughs> like I can't edit this out. You're all just watching me <coughs> choke on screen. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, please pray for me. Anyway, as I was saying, <laughs> anger is dominion for the enemy. Anger is allegiance to the enemy. And if unforgiveness is the fruit, anger is the root, okay? Anger, hurt, unforgiveness, offense, guilt, condemnation, shame, all of that is all of that is one and the same. All of it's one and the same. Why? How? Can you all hear me okay? It keeps saying that OBS is cutting out. <clears throat> Am I cutting out on your end, guys, in the chat? I hate doing this. I hate doing this when my husband isn't here because like, mm. all right. All right, so just bear with me here. Y'all say a prayer for the protection of the chat, please. The protection of the connection specifically. Yes, the devil is a liar, amen. Um, okay, so let's try that again. I'm sorry if I have to repeat things. I just want to make sure that it's coming through right. So how is anger, hurt, unforgiveness, offense, guilt, condemnation, shame? How is all of that one and the same? Because the Bible says there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of God, kingdom of the enemy, right? Anger, hurt, unforgiveness, offense, condemnation, shame. None of these are ever the kingdom of God. So that means they are the kingdom of darkness because all of those things are not a part of God's plan, right? Those feelings, those justifications, those experiences are never God. There's never a time nor a place for it in his kingdom, nor in his heart, nor his righteousness, nor in his people, you guys. And that's why Ephesians is clearly instructing us to give no place to it. Give no opportunity to the devil by agreeing with any feeling, justification, or experience that is outside of God's kingdom. Because the bottom line is, there is no justification for you to live in anger. There is no justification for you to live in this bitter unforgiveness. And Jesus proved that. 
James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So for you to remain in even a fraction of bitter unforgiveness means that you are outside of his righteousness. And therefore, according to Ephesians, giving opportunity to the devil. Okay, so therefore, if you feel like you are experiencing any sort of demonic attack, if you feel like you are any under any demonic oppression, if you feel like you can't get a break right now, if you feel like the devil and his demons are just coming at you from all sorts of different angles, it could very well be because you have given them a foothold, a place, an opportunity through an unforgiving heart. Right, you can rebuke the devil, you can bind him, plead the blood, cast out demons, anoint your home, all you want. But the biblical truth is that if you have this bitter unforgiveness, if you have this anger, if you have this resentment, if you have this offense toward anyone, that door is still open. You're still partnering with that. You're still in agreement with it. That is why forgiveness is spiritual warfare. That's why the Lord's prayer that Jesus instructs us to pray is as follows, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? So when the disciples ask him how they should pray, Jesus literally includes forgiveness of others. As a prayer, we should be petitioning to him daily in supplication and thanksgiving with the acknowledgement and gratitude that we ourselves have been forgiven. And it follows the act of forgiving others with the plea to not be led into temptation for us to actually be delivered from evil and other translations say the evil one, right? It's almost as if the temptation of the evil one is to, in fact, lead us into unforgiveness and thus would require us to be delivered from the evil that is a byproduct of practicing unforgiveness. See, because the Bible is very clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual war, y'all. So we have to view things such as forgiveness through a supernatural worldview because the battle is not in the natural. So whatever is going on in the natural between you and this other person that you may harbor some unforgiveness for, it's irrelevant to what takes place in the supernatural when you are in the practice of unforgiveness. So you'll notice how in that prayer, in the Lord's prayer, it says nothing about them deserving it. It says nothing about you needing to allow them unconditional access to you simply because you have forgiven their debts. It says nothing about what you are entitled to, whatever reasons you have or expectations you have or how you feel or how they feel or anything carnal, anything of the flesh, anything of the experience, anything of the feeling instead it is only a simple acknowledgement of something beyond the natural. It is an acknowledgement 
that we are dominated and influenced by the divine. That's what the Lord's Prayer acknowledges to us, which brings us back to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. Because unforgiveness as a Christian looks a lot like saying you're playing on the same team as God's kingdom, but you're out here wearing the other guy's jersey. Which brings us to our next point of unforgiveness, how it stems from ultimately offense and taking things personally. And how the root of these fruits, unforgiveness, offense, anger, unrighteous anger, you know, shame, condemnation, guilt, bitterness. The root of these fruits is ultimately pride. And by the way, pride is what got Satan cast out of heaven in the first place. Pride is the seed of all sin. And pride is the seed of unforgiveness. Because holding on to unforgiveness is playing judge. It's partnering with the enemy. It's eating from the tree of good and evil. The only tree that God specifically instructed Adam and Eve to avoid. He wanted them to eat of the tree of life. His plan was that they may not know good and evil. That they would only know the fruit of life. That they would only produce life. Unforgiveness does not produce life. It produces knowledge of good and evil. Fruit that God himself promised Adam and Eve, if they ate of it, would make them surely die. So the truth is, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. But by God's word and by God's standard, unforgiveness actually only ever kills us. When you live in unforgiveness, you live in torment because unforgiveness never produces life, okay? And now pride, offense, and unforgiveness, they are all ugly brothers. They are fruit of unholy spirit because there's only one Holy Spirit. And all of those things are antithetical to what true Holy Spirit fruit looks like. So here are a few verses on what the Bible says about those three things, right? Pride, offense, and unforgiveness. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Finally, Mark 11 verses 25 to 26 say, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have done, if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Okay. So pride leads to destruction, gives us a haughty spirit and causes us to fall. Again, think the fall of Satan right out of heaven. He fell from his place in God's kingdom due to his pride. 
And then offense creates strongholds within us like a city hardening our hearts and renders us unwavering in bondage. And finally, the forgiveness of others is actually a divine requirement of our own forgiveness. That's what the Bible says. But that pride and that offense render the forgiving of others a nearly impossible feat, right? Because you're still living for yourself when you have pride and offense. You're not living for Christ and you're not living alive unto Christ when you have pride and offense. Because those two things, with those two fruits, you are walking by the flesh instead of by his spirit that his word promises is always willing. Always willing. So let me ask you something. What right do you have to be proud? What right do you have to be offended? What right do you have to take anything personally? Luke 9.23 tells us that if we want to follow Christ, to then deny ourselves. So how do you deny yourself and still have so many rights? How can offense be qualified if you're no longer living for yourself? How can you hold things against people when Jesus has held nothing against you? And look, I get it because I'm human too. I know they may have hurt you. I know they may have done you wrong. I know that they may have spoken against you, word cursed you, traumatized you. But I also know that we cannot let natural knowledge change supernatural truth. And the truth is, even though they may have done you wrong, he, your father in heaven, your savior, Jesus Christ, has done you so incredibly right, more right than you were ever worthy of. He gave you eternity and more than that, he gave you freedom because he gave you his Holy Spirit. And that's not just for heaven. That's for right now. Okay. It's like I keep saying, there are so many of us that are living like we are waiting on heaven to be saved. When the biblical reality, okay, despite whatever we feel or see or experience, he says we are saved right now. And I'd rather see his promises as justified as my own reality than my experience be justified as my own reality. But the thing is, y'all, we have just, we've made it so normal to be hurt. We've made it so normal to be hurt. We've made it so normal to be offended. We've made it so normal to just be emotionally inflammatory and angry and we've made it normal to be proud and we've made it normal to be unforgiving because we've made it normal to let our experience be the barometer of truth rather than letting the one whose name is truth be our barometer of truth for us. Jesus, right? Now look, it's not about stuffing feelings. It's not about denial. It's not about any of those things that your carnal mind may want to jump to right away in order to defend that hurt that I'm speaking to, in order to defend that offense or that anger or that pride or that unforgiveness, okay? 
It's not about stuffing our feelings. That's not what I'm saying. This is about dealing with our feelings by aligning them to the truth, which is Jesus. It's about taking those feelings, taking those thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. Because those thoughts and feelings of offense, of hurt, of taking it personal, of anger, of unforgiveness, those thoughts and feelings want to exalt themselves over the knowledge of God. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. But no, the knowledge of God says he binds up broken hearts, right? He is our healer. So let's live in such a way that we believe he has healed whatever it is that broke our hearts. God heals the brokenhearted. That's a promise. So we might as well live in a way where we're not brokenhearted. So that instead of walking around from this place of brokenness, we can operate from the promise of his healing, right? It's again, it's faith, just like the repentance episode. It's faith. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He goes before you. He vindicates you. This is all scripture. So you let him deal with it because he is Lord. And by trusting that he's dealt with it, with all of that stuff, whoever hurt you and whatever feelings it produced within you, by just trusting him that he's dealt with it because all those things are true, that he vindicates you, he defends you, he heals you, you walk in the freedom that he died for you to have. It's good news. And you know what unforgiveness does? You know what offense does? You know what bitterness does? It lets them, whoever caused you the offense, it lets them be Lord over your life. It lets your feelings be Lord over your life instead of submitting to he who is the only one worthy of being Lord over your life. That unforgiveness, offense, bitterness, anger, pride, it all justifies you just staying the same. It justifies you treating people like they owe you or walking around with this heart posture that the world owes you something that you've been done wrong, that you deserved better, so you're gonna just have this chip on your shoulder. Y'all, name one person that God has treated like that. Name one person that God has treated like that. Like he was owed something from you. When did Jesus ever act like he got the short end of the stick and his portion should have been better? Never, never. And man, aren't we glad that Jesus didn't act like that? Aren't we glad that Jesus doesn't act like that? I mean, imagine just for a second, imagine that Jesus just dropped the cross and said, you know what? I'm the son of God. This is how you've all treated me. You're whipping me. You're abusing me, spitting on me, ridiculing me, denying me. And here I am off to make the ultimate sacrifice for all of you. And you know what? You don't deserve any forgiveness because you're all ungrateful and blind and mean and I'm the king, so you should be treating me as such. I'm done. I'm going to hold this all against you and I'll be the one with the last laugh. And he just dropped the cross. Aren't you glad he's not like that? Because I sure am. 
Because the truth is, I am unworthy of his forgiveness. I am unworthy of that cross. I am unworthy of his death. We all are. But because God is love, that's who Jesus is. Just pure love. Sacrificial love. Love that gives with no expectation. In fact, let's read the famous Bible verse, the one that is used in, you know, all weddings and in a frame available to purchase at every TJ Maxx. Can you guess what it is? It's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, right? Love never ends, okay? So with that, another translation says that love keeps no record of wrongdoing, which I love that, right? And sheesh, <laughs> sheesh. Love keeps no record of wrongdoing, all that love above, it sounds a lot different than love that keeps score, huh? Like we have a tendency to do. Love that keeps no record of wrongdoing sounds a lot different than giving your spouse the silent treatment so they know you're upset. It sounds a lot different than being offended that someone called you a name. It sounds a lot different than being angry at your parent for how they raised you or didn't raise you. It sounds a lot different than holding things against people because you feel like you deserved better. It sounds a lot different than my demonstration of love being contingent upon how you treat me. It sounds like we ought to love as he loved us. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. And how does Jesus love? Everything we just read in 1 Corinthians, Jesus loves patiently. He loves kindly. He loves without envy or boast. He loves without being arrogant or rude, without insisting in his own way, without being irritable and resentful, without rejoicing at wrongdoing or keeping record of wrongdoing. Jesus loves by bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things. Jesus' love is never ending. His love is sacrificial. And the same Jesus who loves that way told us to follow him. 
He told us to pick up our cross and to follow him. Remember, he didn't drop that cross. In fact, what was the purpose of him carrying that cross to begin with? Love, selflessness, sacrifice, forgiveness. Forgiveness. And you know what's amazing? Is that that same Jesus that said, these things I'll do, but greater. You know, we always tend to think of that as signs, wonders, and miracles. And while those things are true, what if it's actually so much more simple than that at the same time? What if these things I'll do, you'll, I'll do, you'll do, but greater. What if he didn't just mean miracles? What if he meant love? What if he meant love? So, beloved, my point is, let's not give the devil a foothold with unforgiveness. Let's not give the enemy an opportunity. If Satan is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, why would you give him cracks and crevices like bitterness, envy, anger, unforgiveness, resentment, hostility, offense? Why? Because I assure you, if you give the enemy an inch, he's going to take a mile. He doesn't play fair. He is wicked. And you show him where you're vulnerable, don't think he's not going to strike. So don't be unaware of Satan's devices. Give him no place. Instead, submit to God and the devil will flee. Right? We submit to God when we submit to loving as he loves. The Bible says that the sign we love God is that we actually love one another in 1 John. So let's love one another without expectation without keeping score, without selfishness. Because the thing is, y'all, nobody, nobody owes you a thing. No one owes you a thing, especially when you are walking in truth that Jesus already gave you everything. So I, I pray you hear my heart when I say this. Let's stop making everything about what they put us through Let's stop making everything about what we've been through. Let's make our lives about what he went through. Having any expectation or resentment, whatever, towards others, it makes it all about us or them instead of making it all about him. And look, you may feel like you don't have the strength to muster that mindset on your own, but guess what? Good news, you can't. Forgiveness and the love of God could never be something that you muster on your own by your own strength. It's not about you. It's not about your works. Just like that last episode, all about repentance. This isn't about waking up in the morning and trying not to sin or waking up in the morning and trying to forgive. It's about waking up in the morning and knowing you belong to the King of Kings. You belong to him. You wake up in the morning with a heart of gratitude that his grace is indeed sufficient in your weakness. The word says we love because he loved us. So all this forgiveness stuff I'm talking about, it's nothing that comes from your own will, your own capabilities, or your own strength. It's just the byproduct of his righteousness. The mercy you give is the byproduct of the mercy he has shown you. So to that, let's talk a little bit more on the subject of mercy because it really is so important in the realm of forgiveness, okay? 
Luke 6, 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Colossians 3, 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay. So I looked up the definition of mercy and it says compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Okay. So mercy is the ability to punish someone for their wrongdoing, even on the assumption that you would indeed be justified for doing so but you choose to show them compassion anyway, in spite of what the punishment, in spite of the punishment they may actually deserve. And that sounds a lot like God's heart posture toward us. So why should yours be any different towards other people? Because y'all in the chat, show of hands, who knows that you as a sinner are not worthy? Who knows that you did nothing to deserve that sacrifice on the cross? Who knows that the wages of sin are death? Who knows that there was absolutely nothing you could have ever done or proven or worked for or said to make yourself worthy? Who knows that there was nothing you could have ever done to deserve mercy? And yet, your Father in heaven has shown you mercy in spite of all of that. He forgave you despite that you were undeserving of being forgiven. And now here's the thing with all of that. Just trying to offer some perspective so you can begin to see the other person with whom you may hold unforgiveness toward in a new light, which would be through the lens of Christ, okay? I want you to think about all of that. Think about the bondage you were in without him. Think about what he set you free from. Think about the depravity of your very nature that, that caused you to be wicked and to sin against a perfectly holy God when you were under the curse of Adam. Think about how miserable you were before Jesus. I know I was. And think about how you were literally a slave. Think about how you were literally a slave to unrighteousness. Think about how the Bible says that the carnal mind literally cannot perceive spiritual things. Think about how you had a heart of stone, how you were blind, how you were living in the kingdom of darkness. And now think about the person that you need to forgive and see them that same way. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm encouraging you to see that person that you have unforgiveness for, see that other person as bound, as oppressed, rather than seeing them as against you. Don't make it about yourself and how you're the victim. See them, in fact, as a victim in need of a savior the way Jesus saw you. And don't hold them in a prison cell in your heart because the truth is they're already living inside of a prison cell. And what's more, don't move in with them inside that cell because that's what unforgiveness does. It keeps them in prison 
and puts us right in there alongside them because unforgiveness keeps us just as bound to the sin that causes them to conspire wrongdoing against you that keeps them bound. Remember, that cell is theirs, not yours. Jesus set you free. You can live like it. You should live like it. Your Bible says to you, the devil would love nothing more than for you to get comfortable in that cell, in that prison cell with them. He's an adversary, remember. Don't give him that place by giving up your place, the place of freedom that Jesus has given you. Excuse me. And so what if that person... What if the person that has done you wrong claims to actually be a brother or sister in the faith, right? What then? Honestly, that's almost more heartbreaking than the unbeliever that you're lacking forgiveness for because for a brother or sister to sin against you, especially repeatedly, intentionally, it means that they may have intellectual intellectualize the gospel, but they haven't had a transformative, regenerative, true born-again experience that the gospel produces. Because you cannot know Christ intimately and go on recklessly hurting people, shamelessly hurting people, unrepentantly hurting people. You cannot know Christ intimately and persecute others viciously. And unfortunately, when proclaimed Christians act in such a way, they are behaving more from the heart posture of a Pharisee than that of Christ, right? They can claim godliness with their mouth, but then they deny the power thereof with their actions because they have not been transformed by love. So forgive them too, because they need to have that revelation of the only love, the love of Christ that is capable of transforming us in such a mighty way. They desperately need to know Christ in their hearts and not just in their minds. They need to know Christ in the secret place and not just Sunday service. They need to know the Jesus that they claim to follow. And your mercy, your compassion, your love, though it may very well be in undeserving, it will show them his heart. Because remember, Jesus died for those Pharisees too. He died for the very ones who hung them on the cross. And look, I want to say this too. I'm not talking about um, just being weak and, you know, letting everyone walk all over you. That's not what this is. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you know, Jesus didn't tell us to turn the other cheek because he was a punk. A punk couldn't hang on the cross, right? Okay. That camera just doesn't work anymore. Does this one? Yeah. A punk couldn't hang on a cross. He didn't withstand the persecution and ridicule because he was weak. He withstood it all because he was strong in being about his father's business. And remember, he told you to follow him. So be about the father's business. 
Be about your father's business. You don't forgive someone because they deserve it. You forgive them because you're reckoned dead and made alive unto Christ. So does this mean that we are just excusing the sin? Does this mean that we are absolving them? No, because we're not in the throne. We are not God. We don't have the authority to absolve someone of their sin, but we do have the authority to love as he loved us, right? So that's the focus. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying with all this, okay? It's not about gaslighting yourself and tolerating abuse um, because it's the Christ-like thing to do, so to speak. Christ tells us we can rebuke those who sin against us. However, he also tells us to bless those who persecute us, to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to be merciful. So it's not about blindly excusing them of wrongdoings and enabling that behavior and actions. It's simply operating from the heart posture of forgiveness, of mercy, compassion, and love. That first Corinthians love. I'm not here to talk to you about whatever boundaries you may put in place with people. We know that God has boundaries, that their boundaries are biblical because the Lord's unconditional love is different from unconditional tolerance. So I'm just here to talk to you about the love, the unconditional love. That's the focus here. I'm here to remind you that you are in no position to hold things against people when Jesus held nothing against you. You can guard your heart and steward your peace while maintaining the position of forgiveness. Those things don't cancel each other out, okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what the Bible is saying instead. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one for evil. Repay no one for evil. Okay? But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So that begs the question, do you fathom, beloved, how you have been forgiven? Do you comprehend that you have truly been made clean, justified, and that you have been made blameless, in the sight of God, that he has completely buried everything you've ever done, that who you were has actually been reckoned dead and you, you have been resurrected into new life in Christ Jesus. Because the understanding of that is designed to produce forgiveness toward others. Sometimes, you know, we we want the forgiveness and yet we don't want to offer any of the forgiveness. When the whole point of forgiveness is to, became, is to become that same expression toward others. Your life is called to be an, a living epistle. Your life is called to be a living epistle. So it's important for us to live this way. And for the record, this is why fighting online about theology, 
about if someone celebrates Christmas or someone doesn't, about if you believe in deliverance or if you don't believe in deliverance. Fighting online about theology on, on secondary doctrine, it has no place in the body of Christ. We're so busy fighting over theology, calling each other wrong, trying to say this person is false and that person is false. We're so focused on making online ministries dedicated to the cancel culture of other Christians that we've lost what it actually means to be Christian which is simply to be loved, to demonstrate the gospel on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, not your YouTube channel. And with our sights set on each other, always set on each other, how can they ever be set on Jesus? This Christian tabloid drama online that sows discord amongst the body. It just breeds carnality and it does not produce any fruit of Holy Spirit. It just produces more fruit of the flesh. It makes us look like the world when we are called to be set apart and be of witness to his name. People are so emotionally inflamed online and they take it to the comments section before they take it to the secret place. And then they just end up looking like the world instead of embodying the fruit of the spirit. Instead of demonstrating the love that Christ called them to be. Instead of their life looking like a living epistle, it looks like a living tabloid. And yeah, there's a time and place to rebuke. But if you want to only focus on the rebuke and never on the love, you may just be missing it. If you only want to focus on the rebuke and never the forgiveness or the mercy or the compassion, you may be missing it. I don't want to go off about that. The point is, overall, in any capacity, your attitude means everything to manifesting Christ. And for those that get triggered and want to clip this video and say, she said manifest, it's all throughout your Bible. Please go read 1 John after this. Beloved, we have two choices when it comes to our attitude toward others, okay? It can be one, I am the way I am because XYZ person hurt me or my spouse said this or my friend did that or they said this mean thing about me or they treated me unfairly. So I just have trust issues. I'm sensitive. I'm hurt. I have walls up. I have my reasons or there's the only reason that matters and it's the reason you are made new without a spirit of offense without bitterness, without wrath, without anger, without clamor, without slander or malice is because he, Jesus, has been through death and sacrifice on your behalf. And it no longer matters how wrong you've been done by someone else when Jesus himself has done so undeservingly right by you. Okay, it says in the book of Revelation that we love not our own life unto death. So how can you not love your own life unto death and still be offended? How can you love not your own life unto death and still take it personal? How can you love not your own life unto death and still refuse to forgive someone even without an apology? Like I said earlier, this stuff is in your Bible. This stuff about love and mercy, following him, walking in light as he is in light, loving one another, forgiving one another, giving no place to the devil with anger, being dead to yourself, and being alive unto Christ. 
it's not there for you to just live off of the theology of it, right? It's not all there for you to just live off the theology of. It's there for you to receive the grace of. Because it is receiving that grace through faith that saves you, right? It's there for you to live off the reality of. Hallelujah. So to reiterate, I'm not saying that you'll never feel again. I'm not saying you're not allowed to feel or to suppress your feelings. I'm saying that take all of that captive to Christ or else it will hold you captive. Take unforgiveness captive to Christ or unforgiveness will hold you captive. And if you've come this far, maybe you've been feeling convicted because you realize you do have some unforgiveness in your heart. Listen, don't condemn yourself or thinking by thinking that you've blown it somehow because you've experienced unforgiveness. Just get in the saddle and run the race, right? He has grace for you. He has grace for you. And maybe he's using this, maybe he's using this to draw you near because he's a good father. He's a faithful shepherd and his sheep know his voice. He moves you glory to glory. Why? Because you are the light of the world. You are his. You are the light of the world. That's not a metaphor. That's not an allegory. That's truth because he is light. And you are called to walk in the light as he is. And like the scripture says, no one puts a bushel on a light. So don't you be letting unforgiveness serve as that bushel. Don't you be letting unforgiveness be the bushel that goes over the light that you are called to walk in. So you can make that choice right now. You can shut that door to the enemy and open the door to love as he has loved, to be merciful as he is merciful, okay? To just come out of agreement with unforgiveness and come into agreement with the forgiveness that he has given you and be an expression of that to those around you. Because by being the expression of the forgiveness Jesus has given you, you are being an expression of demonstrating Jesus through your character, through your life, through your actions, through your faith, okay? So with that being said, let's pray. Um, I'm gonna take a sip of water. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, we're going to pray against that right now. So I'm going to start with offense and um, kind of just take it from there, okay? Because I, offense opens doors and, and it says in Ephesians that anger opens doors. So we're going to start there and then just kind of move into some forgiveness. I won't make this super long. I just pray that it would be effective. Um, hang out afterwards and we will sit in the chat and do some Q&A. So stick around for the prayer. The prayer is more important than the chat, but if you want to stay in the chat, you have to receive the prayer. Can't believe how many people always dip with the prayer. 
Anyway, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to um, fellowship with your people, with your body. Lord, I pray that this was glorifying to you, and I pray that in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ, that people would be set free of unforgiveness tonight. So, Lord, I just pray against all anger. I pray against any spirit of offense right now in Jesus' name. If you're listening to this and, and you feel like you really have to repent for that offense, for taking it personally, just say out loud to, to the Father, just say, Lord, I repent of offense. Lord, I, I repent of unrighteous anger. I repent of bitterness. I repent of resentment. Just tell him the things you need to repent for that are all of the fruit of the kingdom of darkness. It's all, it's all, or sorry, of the root of the kingdom of darkness. All this fruit, all this fruit that is outside of God's plan, this resentment and this malice and this clamor and this unforgiveness, just repent for it. Just lay it at his feet right now. Give it to him. Cast it to him. He cares for you. Just give it to him right now. And so with that, just by the power of the Holy Spirit that my Savior, Jesus Christ, has given me, I just speak to all offense, all anger, all wickedness, all shame, all condemnation, all guilt. And I tell you to go in Jesus' name. All unforgiveness must go in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just bring to mind of the person listening right now what your fruit looks like. And Lord, I pray that they would walk in such a way that is demonstrative of your fruit, Father God. And so right now, Father, would you just bring an image to this person's mind of the person that they need to forgive in their heart? Would you just show them whoever it is, this person that they need to forgive as you have forgiven? And would you just tell the Lord, just tell the Lord that you bless them, right? Because the word tells us to bless our enemies. Tell the Lord that you bless them. Say their name. Say, I bless this person. I bless this person right? Have mercy for them. So say, Lord, I, I, I agree to have mercy for this person. And just tell the Lord that even without an apology, Father, I just, I forgive them. Because by forgiving them, you're setting them free of the prison cell in your own heart. And you're allowing yourself to walk in the freedom Jesus gave you. And so you have to Really just believe that, have that faith right now that what his word says is true. So, Father, I pray that you would give them a revelation of their own forgiveness right now. I pray that you would show them the scripture, that you would just engulf them in your love when they go to the secret place and just show them how radically they have been forgiven and how supernaturally they have been regenerated and transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that they would just have this unshakable faith of your mercy, of your love, of your compassion, and that they would demonstrate all of those things, that they would be the expression of all of those things because that is who you are and that is who you have called us as your, as your children to be. And so, Father, I just thank you. We love you, Lord. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is witnessing to us, is refining us, is sanctifying us fully. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just that you would just be faithful to complete the good work that you've started in this person. And we know that your word says you are, and we thank you for that.
And whenever the temptation of forgive, of unforgiveness comes up, Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind, forgive as you have been forgiven, that you would bring to mind love as I have loved you, and that they would take those thoughts captive in obedience to you and your word and your ways, Lord. And I pray all these things in the matchless mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you're listening to this, um, please go to my YouTube channel and watch the rest of the chat for the uh, live Q&A. Now, I had like no mods tonight. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I pray that you are blessed by it. Please do consider financially partnering with the ministry. Different ways to support the show are listed in the episode description, so be sure to check that out. If you were fed today, don't just dine and dash. <laughs> and be sure to share this episode with a friend or family member that you feel could use it. Post it to your Instagram story and tag me so that I can personally thank you for supporting Heaven and Healing. If you are interested in hearing or watching the Q&A live chat that happens at the end of every live stream, you'll have to subscribe to Heaven and Healing Podcast on YouTube to watch the rest of the stream where we do that live Q&A at the end. Thank you all so much again and God bless.